This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hello, I'm Carl D. Smith, and welcome to the Goat Kicker Podcast. Everybody, episode nine of the Goat Kicker Podcast. Welcome back. I have about one episode left that I can feasibly use as an excuse uh, for me being rusty for uh, for goofing around with the format to making excuses. Um, after ten episodes, I'm a veteran and I should be getting this right. So lucky you, you get to stuffer through this last single digit episode as I figure it out. As I've mentioned before, I'm sort of finishing up work on my first fantasy novel, uh, that hopefully the first in, in many in this series. The name of it is Moleb the Giant. The name of the fantasy series line is Cardinal Fates. And, um, you know, I've had some fun with it. it. It makes me constantly want to work on my role-playing game, which some of you are aware of, called Play Your Own Adventure. I created a role-playing game system that's not unlike basic Dungeons & Dragons, except for it de-emphasizes violence and sort of emphasizes creative problem-solving. The idea is for it to be easy to learn and have a little depth to it, a little um, a little customization available to it. Um, but for it to be a tool for uh, young players and families to play together um, and not have the additional stress of the constant violence that's uh, usually how you measure success and failure in these role-playing games, but instead sort of measures uh, your, your advancement through your confidence. And instead of hit points, you have confidence for that day. And if you become completely discouraged, then your game session is over. You don't die. You just go home and sleep it off and come back wiser and and more energetic the next time. And so while I developed that system, I have all these big ideas for supplements for it and how to implement uh, additional uh, products that use that system for kids to play solo adventures and to incorporate it into some books to help encourage kids to read and and still have fun with this this game system. (laughs) So as I write my fantasy uh, book, I'm distracted with the idea that I want to work also on this fantasy role-playing game that I'm doing. You can't separate the two. It's tough to separate the two anyway. But one of the notions uh, that sort of drives role-playing games, whether it's computer-based or tabletop, pardon me as I get a sip here, um, is that your character, the one that you designed, the one that has autonomy, the one that makes decisions that affect the game and ultimately save the day or fail, is a player character, or abbreviated PC. And depending on how many people are playing the game, there usually aren't very many PCs at work. So you have this rich, detailed uh, fantasy world that's being laid in front of you either through a supplemental book or through the narration of your, your game master, your dungeon master. But ultimately, the entire world's fate, its progress... All the developments that happen are influenced by the cognitive decisions of a handful at best player characters. And everyone else that appears in the story is an NPC, non-player character. These may be monsters or foes that you face. Sometimes we call them mobs. Or, 
They may be people there just for environment, for atmosphere. The town jeweler, the blacksmith, an old man on the farm who's seen something that you need to uh, get from him (coughs) in order to get clues on where to head next. Other uh, soldiers or wizards, townsfolk, cultists, all these people that show up in the adventure don't have autonomy. And they don't ultimately play in the decision of, uh, uh, of things that matter to the, the fate of that fantasy world. And that's something that's sort of unique and sort of fun with role-playing games. They're like putting on a, a stage show, a, a play that you populate with extras. Can you imagine filming a movie where all the towns and all the settings are completely empty? There's no one in the grocery stores. There's no one in the White House. There's no one on the battlefield except for your main characters. It wouldn't feel quite right. It would be distracting. It wouldn't feel normal. The realism would be completely lost. And so you have all these extras playing their roles. Now I'm a big fan uh, of using the um, um, philosophical, psychological uh, model of looking at the world as if all people sort of cast themselves as the lead role in a story that they're telling. A story that they're telling themselves. They're narrating it throughout their day. Maybe not everyone does that, but I know that I do, and I know other people who do, uh, to one degree or another. That the world around them is a setting that they're moving through and that they're affecting or being affected by. And there's all these other people in the story that they interact with. The people of your group, your tribe, your workplace, your family, they tend to be your party. They tend to be recognized as other PCs. Sometimes. But strangers. The guy at the counter at the gas station. The woman in line ahead of you at Starbucks. Those people tend to be looked at as NPCs. Someone who's just acting um, (coughs) based on some complicated algorithm to either (coughs) add to uh, the atmosphere or the experience of your day or to detract from it. Maybe they'll offer you a side quest. (laughs) Maybe they'll offer a challenge you have to overcome. Maybe they're there just to prevent a, uh, to, to present a cash sink or a time sink. You may encounter uh, NPCs that are only there to make you painfully aware that you're not a high enough level to interact with that particular part of the map. And this happens throughout real life daily. But the problem is that when we look at the world that way, we don't take in consideration that these people have motivations. They have factors in their lives that are making them decide. And to themselves, they are the main character in their adventure and that you're an NPC. And so when we stop and consider this and try to at least give them the benefit of autonomy... We find a little compassion, a little empathy. We may still dislike what they're doing. But we start to realize not to be selfish. Not to be rude. It's easier to be patient when you realize the woman in front of you at the bank counter that's taking absolutely forever might be dealing with illness or a a recent loss. 
She may be having the same lack of fulfillment in her professional life that you have. She may have the existential dread that's weighing on you as well as you do. Maybe she has a child who is living their life uh, in such a way that uh, she misses them and doesn't understand their value system based on how they were raised. Maybe she's been mistreated. Maybe to no fault of her own, she hit a pothole and caused damage to her vehicle that she doesn't have the finances to fix but has to have transportation. All of these things that if you consider, it's easier to be patient. If you don't consider them, then you want to treat them like you do in any video game. You want to rush ahead. You want to push aside. You want to make comments. Because ultimately, when you look at the world that way, the only consequence is your own development, your own advancement, your own happiness, your own reward. If I treat my life, my workplace, my family as there only to be obstacles for me to overcome to get to my goals, you're going to have a miserable life. But worse than that, because you would deserve it, but worse than that, you're going to make the lives of other people around you miserable. You're going to negatively affect them. You have become a mid-boss in their game. That they may just avoid. That they may fail to defeat. Or they'll do something to affect you. I've talked to a lot of people who have dealt with divorce some of them you see coming a mile away, other ones not so much. And divorce is complicated. It never really boils down to one complaint or one partner all the time. That it's complex, just as complex as all of our lives are. But the one thing I found uh, that's common in a lot of divorce, and usually people are pretty honest about admitting it, is they just didn't try to live their lives and to benefit the life of their partner in any way they weren't listening they weren't acting they were being selfish they may have justified it and they may have been justified in why they were doing that but sometimes it just boils down to treating like the person who lives under your roof as an NPC that's the person who was assigned to you to fill that role of spouse of significant other housekeeper, you know, if you really want to be honest about the way people look at each other. And when that person stops serving you in the way that you think they should, and you've given no consideration to their own personal goals and endeavors... You're creating an environment where you're forcing them to look at their mission log and decide to maybe cancel that mission. It isn't worth it anymore. And you have divorce, you have breakups, you have the disillusion of friendships. It's pretty common. And it's not because people don't love each other or don't enjoy each other's company that the bonds of family aren't strong enough. It's just that we all want to be validated. We all want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be empathized with. If we're honest, we all want to get our own way all the time. But for those of us who have matured enough, we realize that that's impossible but we want there to be some negotiation about it. We don't want to only exist to be a fallback for someone else's needs and then shelve the rest of the time. And this is true outside of marriages and relationships and friendships. It's true with your relationship with retailers at your comic book shop. 
It's true with your coworkers, your bosses. If you view your bosses as only there to make sure that you're financially taken care of and to provide a job for you that maybe you dislike and don't have any desire to say anything positive about or give your greatest effort for, if they're just a class that was assigned to you, that your computer programmer class, your pharmacist class, and they just happen to be your guild master or whatever, you're going to have problems at your job. And your only interactions with that person are likely going to be negative. Why did you forget to clock in? Why were you late to work? Why are you away from your desk? Why is this work not done on time? Why has our IT department identified you as someone who utilizes the internet entirely too much during your workday? And you're going to have a negative response to that. I'm an adult. Why am I being babysat? And there's going to be strife. When you start to look at other people and wonder why they're not getting as much work done as you are. When you look at numbers, when you look at time spent working on projects, and you compare constantly against your own experience, but not take into consideration what's going on in those people's lives, you're going to have some sour workplace relationships. I was a manager for a short amount of time, twice actually, during my pharmacy career. And I have to tell you, one of the biggest bones of contention in a workplace almost always has to do with scheduling. And if you work in a position like I do where there's uh, scheduling that isn't 9 to 5, that you work in healthcare, you work in banking or something uh, uh, that needs to have, uh, or IT uh, your access needs to be beyond the 9 to 5 Monday through Friday work week. I mean, what is that even really? But when you look at a schedule, it sometimes seems like you're pour, pulling the short straw. You don't understand why decisions are made, why they're sending you here or there, why you continually seem to be the one that works Monday night. And people get very angry and indignant, pouty, even confrontational. But what they don't realize is there are a lot of factors at work when you develop a schedule. So when you're angry at your boss, your scheduler, for your schedule, because of how it affects your life, and there's 27 employees, including the schedulers, that someone is trying to juggle... and meet the needs of the job itself, of the workplace, let alone all those various cogs. You're a little more empathetic when you take a moment to realize that. Maybe I don't like the short turnaround of working till 1 a.m. and expected to be back at work the next morning at 11. But there may be a reason Maybe someone's on an unexpected vacation because their elderly parents are, are falling ill. Maybe someone has marriage counseling on Monday nights and they didn't want to make it public, but they were being accommodated to work in the days so that they could be free to try to work on a relationship that maybe has some rough spots. You don't know what's going on necessarily in everyone else's life. What I'm trying to get at here in this intro, <laughs> intro, it's as long as the body of most of these episodes, but is that this notion that we are only the only player character in, in this game and that we need to stop and put ourselves into the mindset that we're not. We're not the only one making cognitive decisions that influence the outcome of the world around us. 
We're one of many. Matter of fact, being aware of the fact that uh, you're just one of billions of people making decisions that affect the world can make you feel pretty small. And we wouldn't be telling this narration in our head as we get up and do mundane things through the day with most of our life being pointless uh, when you look at the timeline of history. It makes you feel small and you're trying to avoid that. You wouldn't tell yourself this narration of what a great employee you were because you got 10 more prescriptions checked in a four-hour period than the other pharmacist. You wouldn't bother with that if you were trying to make yourself feel small. Instead, you're trying to make yourself feel more important, larger. You're trying to level up, right? You're trying to feel higher level. You're trying to progress. But it's still necessary to be aware. We need to acknowledge that people around us aren't there just to improve our experience. That's where empathy and compassion are planted and grow. That's where selfishness tends to have a hard time uh, growing. When you put yourself second, or at least elevate someone else around you up to the same level as yourself, or above. So in your dealings with people in retail settings or workplace or home or just out and about, it never hurts to take a moment and temper your comment, your attitude, your actions, your reactions with a moment of consideration that that person might have a a complex life as complex as yours, maybe more so. They may have motivations that are invisible to you. And that they aren't there just to serve your story. Or you theirs. That we're all in this together. That we're all trying to figure this thing out and just get through our lives and deal with the things that are thrust upon us. And still somehow seek out the things that we want. The experiences we want to enjoy, we want to accomplish. None of us want to be at work away from our families and our in our pastimes. None of us want to be delayed when we have a goal. None of us want to be inconvenienced. And when it happens, it isn't something you should react violently to. Because there's things at work that you don't understand that very little have to do with someone intentionally trying to make your day worse. I think if we can get in that mindset, if we can look at life in this way, if we can get that attitude as a part of our daily experience, we can improve the world around us, even if by a few degrees. But we'll take any improvement at this point. So that's my challenge to you in this episode of Goat Kicker is to go out and explore the map. Try to stick to the levels, <laughs> the areas where it's level appropriate for you. You don't want to run across a camp of giants that will just launch you into the air, by the way. But, but explore interact see what's out there for you to do but realize that all those things you interact with aren't there just for you they're there for reasons they're there with purpose and it may have nothing to do with you it likely has nothing to do with you and to take a moment and consider the motivations and the reasonings and the conditions that led to other people's placement or their actions and try to consider those motives And to understand that they are living, breathing people with the same burdens and hopes that you have. And try to be more considerate. Try to be more empathetic. And stop being selfish. So this notion that everybody else is just an extra or an NPC in 
your game. I mean, it really affects a lot of things negatively. And you don't have to explicitly be aware that you have that attitude. It's just one of those things that you sort of grow up so self-centered and and so selfish that it just becomes a a part of your normal daily uh, interaction with the world. And we're definitely not immune to it as nerds. It doesn't mean that we're any better or any more self-aware or you know, we may be a little more open to some of this uh, discussion just because we tend to be a little more uh, philosophical, I think, even though sometimes it's pointless philosophy, like whether or not Superman and Hulk fought, who would win. But but we do tend to accept random questions and then chase the answers more than someone than, uh, that's just career-minded and going through the motions of adulthood. So some problems that this can cause, uh, just to throw a couple out there. Um, the first one would be this constant struggle that we have currently, which shouldn't be a struggle at all about rectifying the, uh, sexism that's like sewn into the fabric of American culture. When I look at a woman, uh, at a convention or at a comic store, Um, I would be lying if I said that there's a a great number of times when I look at her, I'm not checking off a checklist of what I find attractive, not attractive, appealing, not appealing, sexually uh, interesting or not. It's just part of what we do and who we are. And where that even becomes more problematic uh, is when we employ the male gaze For those of you who are playing coy and don't understand what that means, the male gaze is when you simply just let your eyes do way too much soaking in of a young woman or a woman in general. This whole debate that goes on about how we see women, how we interact with women, what women owe us, what they're denying us, the kind of world women want but we won't stand for or that God didn't create to start with. All these discussions that happen basically occur because you aren't giving women uh, the ability in your mind uh, to be autonomous creatures, to be player characters. There's some sort of order that you need to have for your uh, fantasy world, your world building to make sense. And they need to play a certain role. Beautiful women have to also be approachable, enjoyable, willing to accept and enjoy your compliments, want your attention, and ultimately be bettable and be interested in sex, period. The reality is, women don't have to, nor should they want to, be all those things. I've mentioned this before, and, you know, it's embarrassing. I'm getting better at it. The reason I mention it is because I know people struggle with this stuff, and uh, everybody kind of pretends like it's someone else's problems. But I struggle with the male gaze as much as anybody. I linger a little too long sometimes. Although the older I get, I'll be honest with you. If there's a young woman wearing something semi-revealing and my gaze sort of lands on her for too long of a period of time, there's just as likely of a chance that I'm not looking at her with any sort of lustful intent, but instead that I'm looking at her like enviously, that here is a human being at a stage in her life when she hasn't been completely saddled with momentum and debt that's hard to escape from. She has a chance to start fresh, to start right, and to do this thing right. I do the same thing to young men. When I see young men that looked well put together and they're handsome and and uh, engaging with other people socially in a favorable way, I tend to male gaze them too because... I, as I said, I'm jealous. I'm jealous at the potential they still own for their lives. They'll blow it, just like we all did. But that potential's there. They might break free. They might be someone who escapes the cycle. 
And if they are, I'll, I'll go about hating them later. But for now, I love them for having the chance to do so. But the other times I'm looking at these young women, these young men, and I'm thinking, let's just say impure thoughts. It's never more of a problem than it is uh, during cosplay. Now, it's easy to say uh, amongst my friends that we all would agree that it's not cool to come up and just touch a cosplayer. Some people, that isn't an assumption. That isn't an assumption at all. That those cosplayers, those women, are somehow in existence for them to interact with as they see fit. And they think if a butt cheek is showing, that a butt cheek can be touched. Or around a waist, or a shoulder, or hair, or an arm. And you really don't have any right to touch anyone ever without their permission. And for some reason, the bar gets lowered a little bit when cosplay enters the scene. But I will admit... If the male gaze counts as touching, then I'm right in there with those weirdos. I saw an interesting story, though, the other day. Um, a woman had posted a picture. She was dressed up as Power Girl, I believe. And there was a man dressed up with look could have been like any paramilitary thing ever. I think he was Hawkeye from the MCU. I'm not sure. And they were getting their picture taken together. And he had leaned in and was kissing her cheek. And she was doing this kind of distracted eye roll. And the picture was kind of cute, but there was a story with the picture. That kiss wasn't consensual. He wanted to pose with her. He was a little bit creepy, but if you're dressed up and you're going to pose, you pose, right? And then right as they were taking the picture, he leaned in and stole a kiss, which isn't cool. She called it assault. I saw comments of people rolling their eyes at the idea of that being assault. But I think I'm on her side on this one. I can see where that is assault. It was not consensual. It was an intimate act. It was a physical act. That was unwelcome. Uninvited. And inappropriate for what they were doing. To adults. So anyway, she tracked down some of the con officials and made a complaint. And they knew who the guy was, and throughout the weekend, basically, no one did anything about it. Her contention was, is why would she want to be involved with a convention who ultimately doesn't have the safety of their attendees, their cosplayers, as one of their highest, uh, highest goals? Rather than protect somebody who might spend a little money or has a table or is part of the local scene or whatever. As what usually happens when this poster is their detractors, both men and women, both telling her basically to shut up. It wasn't that big of a deal. And then people who were on her side. And then there's those men who were on her side, but it's like that creepy on your side. Where they're trying to earn points that they think will eventually get them oral sex or something. I'm not sure why men do that. But then there was this little kind of pocket of, of women who who were not only aware of that similar situation, but familiar with that man, that he's a serial creep. Big surprise. That wasn't a one time. He wasn't completely smitten by this power girl and, and just overcame all of his usual inclinations. He's a habitual dirtbag, and no one calls him on it, so he gets away with it. Now, this young cosplayer, she approached him at the bar that weekend. Uh, she saw him, asked if he remembered her. He said yes. I think he said yes, if I remember the story correctly. But anyway, she showed him the picture and kind of let him have it, which he shrugged off and said, you could have just said something if you didn't want to do that. The most convenient dispense uh, defense in the world next to she was asking for it. 
again, none of this stuff happens if you think of that person as a human being with their own life, their own decisions, their own destiny, their own intentions, their own morality and limits. Everybody's got their own sensibilities. And they have the right to set whatever boundaries they want to. It's unreasonable to think that women around you should put up with any of that sort of garbage just because you want them to. So that's an example. That's an example of uh, of this NPC thinking gone wrong. And again, back to piling on myself. I like to use myself as an example where it's warranted just because... First of all, I don't want people to think I'm uppity. And second of all, I think, you know, we're probably more than one of us in this little group struggles with the same problem. Of seeing other uh, individuals, men or women, in the room, not as interesting individuals you would like to get to know and see what makes them tick and what they're interested and move along if they're not interested in any way, but as potential uh, sexual sparring partners. Maybe not pursued all the way to the bed, but for a little bit of flirting, a little bit of attention, a little bit of ego stroking. They're all potential conquests. And you're evaluating them as you go through the room. It's tough. And you have to train yourself to remember that a complex individual with their own dynamics in life may choose to be sexy. And that's that individual's right to be sexy. That doesn't mean they're being sexy for Carl Smith or for anybody in that matter. And their decision to look sexy to be sexy isn't an invitation. Maybe it is. One of my favorite memes a friend of mine shares every once in a while is, be a slut, whatever. And she's right, yeah, be a slut, whatever. But that's your choice. That's something you've chosen. That's the boundaries and barriers you're setting for your own life. And you'll have your own mixed bags of, uh, uh, of interactions and uh, consequences that go along with that. But that's inside your control, your choice. What if you just like to wear short skirts? What if you're proud of how your chest looks <laughs> and you just want to show it off because it's the one thing on your body you feel like biology got right? Not everybody is a 44-year-old man who, uh, you know, writes about giants and knolls and is built a little bit like a tube of cookie dough. Some people have bodies they're proud of and they want to show them off. That's their right to do so. They're not presenting. They're not advertising necessarily. They're existing. They're choosing. They're expressing themselves. All things that an NPC won't do. An NPC is there for fan service, for eye candy... To heighten or lessen your experience, depending on what the designer decides. But a player character, you don't get to interact like that. Sit down at a table and play a round of uh, Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder with someone sometime. And just pick out a woman who's playing with you. And just relentlessly pursue her sexually the entire time you're playing the game. And see how that goes. I imagine more times than not, there's going to be some anger, some negativity. You might lose a tooth or two. 
Because she is not your NPC. She is a human being. But watch guys that play D&D and perpetually roll characters that are sexually abusive to NPCs. I worry about those guys. As much as I think it's okay to fantasize and to role play and to maybe explore some themes, I think sometimes the things you chase in your escapism say a little bit about you and the things you're trying to express in your real life. Frustrations you have, propensities you have. And so that guy that always rolls a bard that tries to seduce thing, or the guy that's always trying to get with the bar wench, who just relentlessly involves sexual aggression in their character. That's a guy that needs talked to. Which brings me to the last bit I want to talk to uh, talk about for now for this whole NPC thing. Is that the only way to fix this really, other than starting with ourselves, is to call out this BS when you see it. From your people that you know are within your circle. The internet and society today is full of people who will call out anything they're uncomfortable with all the time. Which is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because no longer are we afraid to speak up. It's a curse because we tend not to take any of that advice with any sort of weight. Because you're constantly hearing criticism. But there is a time when it's meaningful. When it's within your confidants, your circle of friends, your party of guys that you always play with. Or women. The people you roll to to the comic book shop. People you go to concerts with, the movies with. Who mix socially. When you see one of your group, one of your clan acting out, you got to call it out. It's your responsibility at this point. Because we got to fix this. We got to fix the way we treat each other. Because not calling it out is being permissive. It doesn't make you guilty of what that person does. They're a human being making their own choices. But you've helped create an environment where they can get away with it. And if Kevin can't keep his hands off the women everywhere you go, and you know that some of them aren't thinking it's just like a weird irritating annoying quirk and they're actually offended or hurt or bothered by it and you say nothing to Kevin Kevin's going to keep doing it matter of fact if you approach Kevin and say hey man that's not cool right you realize that right that isn't cool we don't do that he may still do it but there's a chance that for whatever reason Kevin has never stopped to think about this whole notion that other people don't exist for him One of the few things I think I learned uh, at uh, Creighton University when I went through the pharmacy program that maybe was worth some of the massive uh, six-figure debt that I'll never pay off is that we should be men and women for others. I believed that before I went to Creighton, which is maybe why Creighton was a good fit for me anyway. But that's their mission Whether or not they churn out graduate after graduate that act that way or believe that way, I think that's debatable. That's not the school's fault, but their mission is, because of their Jesuit origin, that we should be men and women for others. If we're learning a trade, we should be using that to better the lives of others in some way. If we're blessed with wealth, we use that for others. If we're blessed with time, we use that for others. Our abilities, our healing arts... Our compassion. It's hard to view the world as a bunch of people just filling space for your own private fantasy if you're living for those people. You can develop a heck of a messiah complex, and that's a discussion for a whole other show. But you're not going to be selfish. You're not going to see them as NPCs.
I sometimes wonder how my attitude got so out of whack. Because down uh, at the core of me, I think I have a heart for other people. I think I get attached to people. I try to meet them where they live. And as much as I like to blame media and society, I've had good friends that set better examples than that for most of my life. Which just goes to show how much effort it takes to do things the right way. You don't get to just coast through life because you'll always take the easiest path. As we find out in physics and chemistry and mathematics and reading and everything else. That giving an easier path, even if there's uh, potential negative consequences, something will always take that path. It's about minimizing effort and just continuing forward. But all the things that are beautiful and noteworthy take a little effort. And that includes our personal morality, our our personal ethics. It isn't always instinctual. It isn't always the easiest thing to do. It's ridiculous to think of things this way, but... One of the greatest blessings in my life is that I'm not physically endowed in a way that I'm a head turner. I don't walk into a room and I don't get that instant recognition of someone physically that people want to be near or figure out a little bit more about. I'm not attractive in the true sense of the word. I'm the sort of person that you have to kind of get to know Then you make some excuses for me, and you might even like me at the end. But I'm fortunate. Because I don't think I have the self-control to have set up boundaries to not have gotten situations where I forget that other people don't exist for my amusement, for my purposes. So I'm curious what you think about this. Do you think in your own life that you typically look at other people as PCs or do you look at them as NPCs? Can you think of some examples in the nerd life where this comes into play? And are there things that you've personally had to work on because you catch yourself realizing that the world doesn't revolve around you? I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. You can reach out to me on Twitter at CarlSmithWriter. Or you can send me an email, carlsmithwriter at gmail.com. Either way is fine. If you want to comment in the DMs rather than publicly, that's completely understandable. I love the feedback. I love the discussion. If there's something I missed I should talk more about, I'd like to hear about it. And we'll touch on it a little bit later. So what do you think? Is the world filled with NPCs? in your mid-level adventure? Or is it an MMO filled with PC characters and unfortunately a high percentage of griefers? What do you think? Well, that about wraps up another episode of Goat Kicker Podcast. Hope you're enjoying yourself. We're coming up. The next one's episode 10, which I'm sort of excited to do just to kind of get it under my belt, to have 10 episodes. It's a nice round number. I don't know why it feels significant, but it does. I know for those of you who are longtime fans, uh, uh, you may realize that the old show really never had uh, a settled uh, format either. And that things change and topics sometimes find a way of coming back up again. And I appreciate you sticking with the show anyway. Some of this might feel a little bit like leftovers. And I am sort of a broken record as a human being as it is. So I appreciate your support. I appreciate your time, your encouragement, your discussion. 
And most importantly, I just hope that something I said sparks a discussion. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it helps you lead yourself to, to the right answer. We're a unique community, us nerds, and uh, those of us who are of my age, we're nerds in the time of life when it was rough to be a nerd. And you don't want to, like, be that guy, the uphill both ways guy, but we sort of understood uh, that we were a niche group. We didn't have the greater acceptance. A friend of mine this weekend at the book fair that I attended mentioned that, uh, you know, at one time he was writing a book about uh, that involved dragons. It was a fantasy novel. And uh, his co-workers sort of uh, were a little judgy about that. A little, uh, you know, elbow in the ribs about it. And then he said, fast forward to now and everybody around the water cooler, you know, talking about Game of Thrones. Nerd is, uh, the nerd culture is a little bit like that for us guys that are in our 40s, 50s. We knew who you could talk to about certain things. You couldn't go buy a Captain America shirt at Target. A kid that had a Captain America shirt was hardcore nerd. But you knew who to talk to, and you knew who not to talk about these things around. So I think we became secretive and insulated and tended to monopolize our time uh, when we were around our people, obsessing about these things we love. And that's why we have this reputation that we have of being these, uh, you know, tape-on-the-glasses uh, poindexters that gather in basements and just obsess over minutia. Yeah, we're that, but we're so much more. But we've never really talked about nerd health and nerd ethics, nerd relationships, nerd responsibilities, nerd finances. All that stuff's real, and that's and it's unique to our group. And we should be talking about it within our group, and that's what Goad Kicker's for. So I appreciate you sticking with me on these episodes that get a little bit more rambly on the ethics. This wasn't truly a nerd church episode, but... You know, that's the sort of content you typically get out of a Nerd Church episode. So thanks for sticking with it. I hope that's what you come for, because that's really all I have to offer. <laughs> that's the only thing I'm giving you. You can't get somewhere else better. If you have a moment, take some time to support the podcasts that have been very great, uh, gracious and, and supported me either privately or publicly. Two-Headed Nerd. Worst comic podcast ever, the Doom, uh, Waiting for Doom, Paranormal Dads, another one of Eddie's groups, the other one that I'm involved with, uh, Make Eternia Great Again, Covert Nerd, Grolix, the podcast. These are all fantastic podcasts, and I'm fortunate enough to kind of cross paths with people who are involved in these things, and um, I'm very blessed to have friends that have similar interests. And no two of those podcasts are alike. From that group that I just mentioned, you're going to find one that really, really scratches your itch and some other ones that maybe you can pass on. But I'd encourage you to check them all out. Maybe not all at the same time. But they're good people. They're good goad kicker country people. <laughs> Salt of the goad kicker earth. And they deserve your support and your encouragement more so or at least as much as I do so thanks for listening and until next time take it easy